morning. Okay, um, once again, I want to make sure everybody knows the reason I haven't been walking around shaking hands is my immune system is really shot from these treatments. So uh, just letting you know I'm not like being a snob. So anyway, yeah, I'm being a snob. No. Yeah, anyway, um, I shouldn't even tell you this, but I'm going to. Uh, <laughs> I was just telling Kevin and Nate this. I walk into a store the other day. This sounds like a joke, doesn't it? I walk into a store the other day, and this guy looks at me at the counter while I'm handing my money, and he goes, what happened to your face? <laughs> and I thought, could I, I should be nice and subtle about this. And I go, I have cancer. <laughs> this is what treatments do. He goes, no way. Did you get that light from being in the sun? <laughs> I'm like, that's generally how it works there, genius. <laughs> Great, I hope he's not watching. If you're watching, Jesus loves you. Anyway, all right. Okay, so we're going to jump right in. We are still in our Meet the Cast Christmas series. Uh, we're going to go right up to the Christmas holiday with this. Um, and the series, we're going to look at several important people surrounding the birth of Christ. Uh, and there are several people I think are, are worth discussing that have a lot to teach us. Uh, we'll be looking at Mary, uh, who is Jesus' mother, obviously, and Zacharias and Joseph, uh, who we'll be looking at today, the wise men, Simeon, and Jesus. Now, last week, we looked at Mary, uh, who's the mother of Jesus, and we looked at Zacharias. And today we're going to look at Joseph, Mary's husband, and Jesus' earthly father. Okay, now, um, in my personal opinion, he is one of the most important people in Scripture. And rarely mentioned other than, you know, in the Gospels, but he's very, very important. So I titled this message, Courage and Compassion, because uh, only a man with an incredible amount of both could actually do what this man had to do. Okay, so let's jump right in. Uh, first of all, Joseph was an Israelite. I'm going to give you a little background on him. Uh, he was an Israelite. I think we all knew that. Uh, and he was from Judah. Uh, and in Hebrew, his name means, is pronounced Yosef in Hebrew. And it means he will add. He will add. Uh, the book of Luke tells us his father's name was, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Haley. Uh, and as we all know, he eventually married Mary. Uh, now, they did have five sons. They had uh, Jesus, James, Judas, Joseph, and Simon, and two daughters, Salomon and Mary. So they were a family of actually seven. Now, Joseph had some pretty notable relatives, some people that were uh, well-known in Bible culture uh, that maybe you know about and maybe you don't. Enoch was one of his direct relatives, which is what the only person we can prove in Scripture never died. He was just taken up into heaven. Uh, Noah, you probably don't know about that guy, but he built this boat thing. No, uh, Noah was one of them. Uh, Abraham, who was the father of faith, uh, of course, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Judah, King David, Boaz, which was the husband of Ruth, and Ruth, uh, very, very important people in his line. So he had a pretty impressive uh, lineage. Also, Jacob, uh, who became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Joseph was a carpenter by trade, right? And in Matthew, uh, it tells us that he was considered a righteous man. If you look at Matthew 119, it says, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, play, uh, planned to send her away secretly. Uh, but what he accomplished uh, in his life, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost unrivaled. I, I can't imagine being in his situation, which is what I want to talk about now. So let's look at Matthew 1, 18 and 19 again. He says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. 
Now, again, this is one of the greatest stories not appreciated in Scripture, but uh, I, wanna, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a minute here. Okay? Imagine being in the situation he was in. At that time and in that culture, marriages were usually prearranged. And believe it or not, that's, they had a, a high success rate, right? But back then, that prearranged marriage was, was in, began at the moment they were engaged, and they were considered the same as being married when they were engaged. It was a very, very solemn and serious commitment that they were making, right? And they had to be engaged for at least one year. I think we should have that rule again. What do you think? But at least one year they had to be engaged. I think if we had that rule now, the marriage rate would go down like 40%. But probably still a good rule. But now during that time, couples had to still be chaste. They, had to, they couldn't be intimate during their engagement. Okay, it was very serious at that time, and they took it way more serious in their culture than in ours. An engaged couple was considered husband and wife, and so anything that you did you couldn't do with a wife or to do with a husband, you couldn't do while you were engaged. So to have an affair while being engaged was already considered adultery. I mean, obviously it would be considered fornication, but it was also dis, uh, considered adultery, right? And adultery was a serious offense. It could even cost you your life. In that time, it was very, very serious. Now, knowing that, imagine how Joseph felt when Mary became pregnant. Now, a lot of people like to spiritualize things a little too much. Like when Mary came to Joseph that, you know, the Joseph was sweet about it. You know he was hurt. And you know it was probably really hard for him to buy the story that she was selling also, right? It had to be tough because in his mind, he's like, uh, I know how people get pregnant. It's not the stork. We need to talk. So it had to be tough on him. Knowing that, I just imagine how he felt. Now, most men in that culture would have publicly disgraced her because it was a statement against them as well as a statement against her. So most men would have not wanted anything to do with that and would have publicly disgraced her, uh, and she would have been considered guilty of adultery, and that could have actually cost her a life. But Joseph, being a righteous man, wanted to quietly divorce her. He didn't want to disgrace her. Right, And if you remember, she went away when she was pregnant, so he probably thought we may be able to get away with this. Uh, but he was going to divorce her, and the only way to end an engagement at that time was divorce. It, it was considered a marriage that much uh, that you had to have a divorce to end an engagement. Uh, because that was, uh, that was a big, there was a big stigma about ending marriages, especially ending them er early. Now, he obviously loved her. I mean, you can see that, because if he didn't, why would he go through these such painful uh, being so painstaking to not not disgrace her right now if you look at if you think about it this was one of the first displays of amazing grace we see in the new testament and it's kind of ironic that the person who's going to be raising the messiah was the first to show us a glimpse of the grace of jesus and the grace that he showed to mary right it's just kind of amazing now God knew it and that he was a very special man, and he knew it would take a very special man uh, to deal with a situation like this. And we have to realize that just as Mary was chosen, Joseph was chosen. Okay, he was chosen. I'll bet you there's not 5% of men in the world that could have handled what he had to handle. Maybe he might have been the only one could handle what he had to handle. I mean, we have to realize that he was chosen. So God sent an angel that's kind of trying to ease his fears of being married to Mary. So if you look at uh, Matthew one twenty, it says, As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, remember we talked about the angels last week? Since this angel brought a message that was not about war, which one do you think it was? It was Gabriel, right? He was the messenger angel. If it was Michael, it would have been about war. This was Gabriel that brought this message. And what Gabriel told him not only changed his mind, but also changed his entire life. Gabriel told Joseph that the baby in Mary's womb was from God. But now I want you to think about this for a second. Even though an angel told him that, it still couldn't have been easy to believe. I mean, realize there had never been an immaculate conception before. It's not like people were going, oh, yeah, Frida, my neighbor, she had immaculate conception. I mean, nobody. This had never happened. It had to be hard to believe. And you know how we rationalize. You guys ever rationalize things, you know, Anybody over-rationalize things? Raise your hand if you're an over-rationalizer. Some of you are liars, you are. But sometimes we over-rationalize. Can you imagine him getting up and going, did that really happen? Was that a dream? Was that just because I love her and I don't want to leave her? Is that what made me think that? Was that really God sending an angel? Because remember, in order to accept that, he would have to accept that an immaculate conception took place and it had never happened before. So I, you know, I'm not trying to put him down here, but you know he had to go, did I really have that dream? Because I still am struggling to believe this. It would take a huge step of faith to even believe what the angel was saying. But one thing that's going to become very evident as we go throughout looking at Joseph's life is that he was a man of faith, even though it's not discussed a lot. Now the angel told Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why would Joseph be afraid to take Mary? As his wife, he didn't do anything wrong. Why would he be afraid? And the reason is because getting married to Mary in her condition was very complicated. It's like in our world. I mean, we're a lot more lax on the morality, obviously, than they were then. And I, I hate to say that flippantly because we are a lot more lax than they were, unfortunately. But you know how rumors start in a small town, right? You ever notice that in a town the size of our town, Something can happen on Monday, and by Tuesday evening, everybody knows. You know what I mean? Well, imagine. I mean, this would have been a big, big deal. And what else did they have to do? They didn't have Sports Center. You know what I mean? What else did they have to do but gossip? So imagine the, the, the talk that was going on when they found this out. This was very complicated. Think about it. If he refused to marry her, he was basically saying that she was an adulteress. So by refusing to marry her, he was pretty much condemning her to justice, right? She would have been put to death, which was considered justice at that time. So that had to run through his mind. But on the other hand, if he married her, people would think they were fooling around. That's what they would think. They'd go, oh, right, it's from the Holy Spirit. Okay. That's what he had to be thinking. Because if you think about this, nobody, half, um, probably 80% of these people didn't believe in Jesus after he did all the miracles. You think they believed that this happened? You know what I mean? So it was really a tough situation to be in. Now, can you imagine him trying to sell that story? Can you imagine him saying, well, I'm going to marry her, but just so you know, I did, I'm not the one that got her pregnant. It was God. Can you imagine how that went over? Can you imagine? They're going, oh, it was God. Lock him up. Nobody would believe that, right? But that's, you know, that's the situation he was in. Now, sex before marriage back then was a no-no. Right? I mean, they were not as lax again as we are today. It was a no-no. Unlike the world we live in, morality was very, very, very important at that time. 
right? It was a part of your character, and it should still be today. But imagine what people would have been saying about him. Imagine how people would have treated him. Because one thing about the Jewish culture is they, were, they would pretty much shun people that violated their laws. They would literally treat them like pariahs. They would have nothing to do with them. And there are still churches like that today. I was pretty much raised in one, but I'm just saying there, the Jews were very self-righteous at this time. And so imagine what they would have done. I was raised in a self-righteous church, and I can't, I actually kind of rebelled against it. You know what I mean? That might shock everybody, probably not. But I did rebel against it. I remember that when I walked in the door, they stared at me every time I walked in the door. So since I went to church last out of the family, I would always make sure I had an ACDC shirt on, right? I would always make sure I had fingerless gloves. It was the 80s. Come on, man. <laughs> had my mullet flowing. How many of you guys had a mullet? Be honest. Raise your hand. Brian, don't you sit there, son. Raise your hand. <laughs> I was looking to see. Right? How many people had the curly mullet in the back? Okay, <laughs> Brian's out now. He's like, I'm already out. I'll just say it. But I would walk in there and try to get them to look at me in judgment. I wanted them to look at me in judgment because what was my choice? They were going to do it anyway. Might as well give them something to talk about. Right? This is, had to be what he was dealing with at this time. And I'd say probably, realistically, since so many people didn't believe in Christ, probably only family believed this story till their death. Most people probably went to their grave not believing this story, right? Now, next, the angel said, <laughs> I mean, the angel said, don't worry, don't be afraid. That, and that's, a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow, right? Now, the fact that he was still willing to marry her shows that he did love her. Because most people wouldn't even have messed with it. You know what I mean? Looked at all those problems that could have come out of it. They wouldn't have even messed with it at that time. Now, the next thing the angel said is he says, you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people. And the name Jesus literally means Yahweh is Savior. Okay, talk about pressure. Talk about pressure. I mean, he was going to be responsible for raising the Messiah, the Son of God. Imagine the pressure that would have been on him at that time. I always wondered, has anybody here ever wondered how difficult it would be to be a parent to Jesus? Anybody ever wonder about that? Because would you even look at his report card? I mean, it had to be straight A's, right? You know what I mean? It's not like he ever got in trouble, I wouldn't think. You know, I mean, the son of God probably wasn't throwing spit wads, so I'm assuming, you know, he didn't get in much trouble. But how would you discipline him anyway? How would you discipline the person who created you and breathed life into you? You ever hear that song that the, the baby that she delivered would soon deliver her talks about that in the song? This was her savior. This was his savior. Can you imagine being a parent? to the Son of God. Also, imagine what it would be like being a sibling to Jesus. How many people here had sibling rivalry growing up? Okay, I was constantly compared to my brothers and sisters. Being the seventh, it sounds like a prophecy, but I was the seventh son. Okay, I was only the fifth boy, but or fourth boy. I guess I should think more about how many kids in my family. But uh, I was the seventh of seven. Right, so... Everybody goes, oh, it's the baby. They got it made. That is a lie. My sister was the sixth, and she got babied. I did not get babied at all. My brothers will tell you different, but I did not get babied, right? I was the seventh, so I always heard, well, Mary always had straight A's. I'm like, well, good for Mary. <laughs> you know? Well, Scott was class president. Well, good for Scott. You know? And I'm like, it probably didn't help that I had hair down to here and going, what? You know, 
the, <laughs> I'm saying. But imagine, I mean, I, I was constantly compared to all of my family, right? I'll, I'll never forget, I, I'm telling too many things here. But one time my mom and dad were talking to my sister and I, and they said, uh, we only planned to have five, or we only planned, we didn't plan to have you, Chris. <laughs> you were a surprise. I'm like, well, that builds my confidence, thank you. <laughs> so my sister Kara comes in and she goes, you were an accident, she's going on and on. And my dad walked in the room, he goes, Kara, she said, yeah, he said, so are you. So, so you can see my family was good at building you up. It made me have the incredible confidence I have today because you were a mistake. Everyone judged you at church. I just had all kinds of great stuff going on in my life. But can you imagine the sibling rivalry if Jesus was your brother? Jesus was your brother? Cool thing is you probably never miss a day for being sick at school. But the downside to that is how do you even compare? And do you ever wonder if it was tough for them to believe it? That's something I always wondered. Would it be tough for them uh, to believe that? Because I had sibling rivalries and none of mine were God, trust me. Now, considering all those consequences, you would think that Joseph wouldn't even consider it. I mean, it would have been easier all the way around in the mind of most people if he would have just walked away from that whole situation. That's not the kind of man that Joseph was. Again, this story should tell you how underappreciated his faith and his courage was uh, in, in the birth of Christ. Now, Joseph knew that the Jews had been anxiously awaiting their Messiah for centuries, okay, for centuries. So he knew this was an important step he was about to take. So when Joseph heard that Mary's child was this long, you know, long-awaited Messiah, he agreed. Uh, why? I mean, because Joseph loved Mary. I think we've established that he, he obviously loved Mary, but he was also, remember, a faithful practicing Jew. He was called a righteous man. He was a faithful practicing Jew. So like all faithful practicing Jews... He was anxiously awaiting the arrival of the Messiah also, right? So, I mean, this was an opportunity like none other because he awaited that Messiah. And if he could have a part in bringing the Messiah they've been waiting on for centuries, it would be very important. Now, also, as a faithful Jew, I probably think he was looking around at the world going, what a train wreck. This is not what was supposed to happen with Judaism. This is not what God had in mind when he called us his chosen people. The way we're living, the self-righteousness, the judgment, you know, the corruption, this is not how God designed it to be. And there had to be a part of him that said, it's worth the risk to see him change all this. It's worth the risk. Do you ever, it, this made me think when I was preparing this, do you ever look around the world and go, what a train wreck? Have you ever done that? Have you ever, but does anybody here watch the news? <laughs> Good, I was just going to say don't, because if you don't have depression, you will. But the funny thing is, is that, have you ever said to yourself, I just wish Jesus would come back? You ever said that to yourself? And you think to yourself, gosh, that's selfish, but we've all said it. We've all go, please, I just want the Lord to come back. What a mess. Well, that's, that's how I imagine him seeing this situation that he was in. I mean, he knew it was going to be difficult, but just the chance that it might change the world had to be important. But despite that, I mean, he knew that agreeing to marry her, life was going to be difficult. It was going to be difficult, right? Having a baby changes your lives forever, right? It's, I mean, that never has changed. You know, when you have a kid, let me explain something to you if you don't have children, okay? Not a few things change. Everything changes. Every, how many people have children here? Okay, so I'm preaching to the choir, aren't I? 
right? So you know those long nights of sleep where you get up at 10 and run to McDonald's and get a burrito when you're single? Yeah, there's no such thing as a long night of sleep when you have babies. I mean, the nice thing is if your wife breastfeeds, you can go, what can I do? I can't get up. I mean, you got the food, you go get her. <laughs> I mean, but those long nights of sleep, gone, over. And a house that once smelled like pulpery now smells like dirty diapers. It changes everything. Your friends say, you want to go out? Well, I mean, I got the kids, you know what I mean? And so it changes everything. But despite all that, I mean, children are still worth the effort. And, and think about this. Joseph and Mary's baby would not just change their lives. He was going to change the world, right? So this is a huge, huge decision. So Joseph stepped out on faith and listened to the angel and took Mary as his wife. Look at Matthew uh, 122. Matthew 122. It says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, at the end of the day, Joseph knew seeing the will of God accomplished outweighed any of the struggles, any of the problems that was going to come up. So he stepped out on faith and, and, and did what God had asked him to do. I think one thing we forget about God is he not only sees who you are, he sees who you can be. He not only sees who you are, he sees who you can be. Most people saw Joseph, and they saw this honest, hardworking, skilled carpenter. But God saw Joseph as a man who had faith, as a man who had courage, uh, as a man who had integrity, and was willing to see his will through until it was fully accomplished, regardless of the personal risk. God saw that in him. See, as humans, we love to stereotypically put limitations on people based on perception, and we're all guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it. We put limitations on people because of our perception. We like pedigrees. We like paperwork. We like pedigrees and paperwork actually more than we like possibilities. We underestimate people because of their education. We underestimate people because of their gender. We underestimate people because of their race. We underestimate people because of their age. We underestimate people because of their family history. How many of you have ever heard, well, I know what family he came from? You guys ever hear that? You know? And I had someone, no joke, said that their mother didn't want them to come to church here. And this was after I'd been preaching for 20 years. You know, this is after I had been saved for like 23 years or something at that time. And I said, why? And she said, well, she knew what you were in high school. I'm like, it was 20 years ago. I had a mullet too. I mean, a lot of things changed. Literally still judging me for that. So that's just something we like to do. We're also guilty of underestimating how powerfully God can use people. Because we got to remember something. God used the unlikely to do the miraculous. He used the unlikely to do the miraculous. He didn't use professors and philosophers, and there was a ton of them around at that time. He didn't use politicians to change the world. I don't know if that's possible. right? He didn't do any of that. He used 12 ordinary men to change the world. Luke had a medical background. Paul was well-educated. The rest of them were fishermen, workers. Farmers, these, these were the people he chose, 12 ordinary men to change the world. I think sometimes we forget he also used ordinary women to change the world, right? Ruth, how many people know that story? If you haven't read that story, do. It's one of my favorites. She was in the lineage of Christ, right? Ruth helped change the world. Mary, 
Elizabeth, and the list goes on and on, were used to change the world. They were just ordinary people, right? But one thing we have to remember is the ordinary becomes extraordinary when you add faith. That's when it changes. The ordinary person can do anything if they apply the proper amount of faith. That's the truth. Now, like Joseph, we're all going to have opportunities to do something special for God. The problem, I think, with most believers are we always think somebody else should do it. We always doubt ourselves. And we always think, well, you know, he can change the world. He's God. He just can't do it with me. And sometimes I think we miss the opportunities God presents us to do something amazing because we doubt ourselves, because we doubt God and what he can do in our lives. It happens. I see it all the time, right? But God created all of us with gifts that he can use. Every one of us, every believer has a gift that God wants us to use. There are so many people out there that still need to hear the gospel. And there are so many people who are hoping someone else shares it. But if God can take a carpenter and have him be the stepfather, if you will, to the, the son of God and raise up the Messiah and change the world, what can he do with us? There are a lot of people who still need to hear the gospel. If you look at Matthew 9.35, says Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The workers are few. Verse 38, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, God still wants to use ordinary men and ordinary women. He still does. Listen, you have the ability to touch people's lives like no one else. You know, the, the people who are affluent and, and important, people are intimidated by them, right? They have a hard time making that connection. But the average, everyday, ordinary person that just loves Jesus, they'll listen to you. Your neighbors will listen to you. Your family will listen to you. He still wants people to do amazing things. Ordinary people do extraordinary things. And if people always ask me, am I, am I one of those people? Absolutely you're one of those people. There's no such thing as someone who's a believer who doesn't have a job to do. There's no such thing. And if you don't have one yet, you're not looking. Because I promise you, if you start praying, God, open the door for me to do something extraordinary. You will have the same moment. I mean, I don't think you're going to, you know marry the mother of God. But I'm saying you will have a moment, an opportunity to do something amazing because he wants you to. The only reason he wouldn't is if you didn't want to. If you look at 1 Peter 4.10, it's one of my favorite passages. He says, as each one has received a, spirit, a special gift. Now, did you hear that? As each one. As what? Each one. That means everybody. As each one has received a special gift, what? Employ it. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, here's one of the things, and I'm going to close. Today will be a short message, but one of the things I want to I put out there. When I see people in sports that will still praise God, that's a ministry. 
When I see people who give God credit for their success in life, that's a ministry. When I see people who are willing to volunteer and help the people who are less fortunate, that's a ministry. When I see those tags flying off the wall out here for all the kids we support during Christmas, that's a ministry. When you see the people outside handing out food, that's a ministry. Dave and Jeremy are in the Philippines right now. That's a ministry. And if you've ever flown 22 hours to minister, that's, you mean business. Trust me, I would have paid money to see Jeremy's face after that plane landed. Right? There are so many opportunities for ministry out there for ordinary people like us if we're willing to accept the responsibility of doing it. Of just doing it. I'll tell you what, if everybody in here found out what their gift was and employed it, imagine how we could change this town. Did you know there are over 7,000 people in Kinderville who don't go to church? Over 7,000. How many of those could this room reach if everybody took their faith serious enough to step out on it? How many could we reach? I want you to think about that. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you to please bow your heads. If this is your first time, we always like to give a brief invitation. Enjoy that short message. Won't be that short next week. If this is your first time, we always like to get invitations. We don't ask people to come up front or any pressure tactics like that. I, ju- I just genuinely want to pray for you. So if there's someone here who's not sure where they stand or just need prayer, I don't need to know why. Just make eye contact and put your head right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. And I'm not going to chase you down. I'm just going to pray for you, and I do pray for those people. Bless those people. If you're watching or listening online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you. For those of us who are believers, I'm always praying that we take our faith more serious. The more I see the world heading in the wrong direction, the more important it is that we are willing to step up. It's so important that we step up. Those those commitment cards that you're supposed to fill out, don't forget to fill those out because there's so many things we would love to get you involved in because this world needs people to just commit. Commit to serving. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the love and mercy and grace that you've shown us. God, we're just ordinary people. We don't deserve heaven. None of us are good. We're never going to be good enough. We constantly sin. That's what makes your grace so special. You sent your son to die for us, knowing we didn't deserve it. But you loved your own creation so much that you wanted to give us an opportunity to be in your embrace for eternity. To take the fear and the dread out of death. We thank you so much for that, God. And we just pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, no doubt they have had bad church experience or just bad experience with Christians. Maybe they're just confused. Whatever's holding them back, just remove it. And remind them that this is personal. It's between you and them. And if they're willing to believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life, you promised you'd give it to them. And if they make that decision, I pray they come to us. We'd love to walk with them in their journey. But God, for those of us who are believers, please light that fire inside of us again. We don't know how much time is left, but whatever time is left, let us make the most of it by serving you with everything in us. There's so many ways to be distracted. There's so many things that can pull us away. But that's the enemy trying to pull us away from the most powerful thing in this world, and that's the love and grace of Jesus. Give us that sense of empowerment again so that we will serve you. We just thank you for all that you do, and we pray that we live what we profess. You go with us and keep us safe. 
And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, let us come together one more time and give you all the praise, honor, and glory. You're so worthy of. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.